Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our patron backers, such as Nathaniel and Tristan Bomar. If you'd like to support the podcast like they did, please go to pitchdrop.cash and kick in as little as a buck a month. It means a lot to us. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that will listen to all of your sins, you filth. <laughs> this is Season 7, Episode 8, covering the Ormus Stronghold in Xenosaga Episode 2 for the PlayStation 2. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and my pronouns are looks like this week I actually have those tits. With me today is Sybil Arnett, she, her. Ryan Beatty, they, them. Garrett, uh, he, him. And last time, Shion and Alan went on a solo adventure. They stole a ship from Vector, which they were clearly being allowed to steal in the end, and accidentally hijacked a Cosmos while they were at it. This led to the trio being picked up by the entire rest of the party, and also Jin Uzuki for some reason. Everyone was on the Elsa and hightailing it for Old Milsha, which is currently in the middle of a galactic war over the spoils of the Lost Planet. Their plan was to perform some acrobatics between two black holes, but all of a sudden, the Ormus stronghold appeared in front of them, and the Elsa was shot down atop it. With no way out save forward, the party climbs into the mechs we haven't seen since the tutorial to fight their way free. So, seriously, this is the first time since the tutorial where you've actually had to use your mechs. The- Disc 2, e- introducing ESs. Yeah. <laughs> and not even in the first dungeon on Disc 2. No. That's true. So the opening of the Stronghold is a robot tutorial area where you are funneled through tight paths and locked into combat. Uh, One neat little scene here is there's a destructible antenna, which, when attacked, uh, flies off towards one of the black holes and is crushed. It is a cool-looking set piece, and it's hiding one of those giant yellow forbidden device panels that you can return to later. Here there are two paths forward, and it's fucking bullshit. Because one leads inside, and then one is a short puzzle where you rotate orbs to unlock an elevator. Um, if you don't open the elevator first, which leads to turn on, turning on another elevator, the other path will dead end pretty soon, uh, but not until you've done some fights. Also, it is this tutorial area is very, very large, and so it takes longer than you would want to traverse and thankfully the enemies at least in the es section don't respawn even after you phase out of the area and phase back in but um what's bullshit about this is that you see the large elevator and think oh that looks like the right way to go i'm gonna go follow the other diverticula in order to like get the pickups and then that turns out to be a dead end until you actually go and open up that elevator i was very frustrated with this this is very much the puzzle dungeon. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it, the last one was also a puzzle dungeon, so this is like Puzzle Dungeon Mark II. While we're at it, this dungeon is scaled incredibly strangely because you haven't had any robots since the start of the game. This is literally the first time two of these robots have been under player control. And there's a weird thing where at any time you can just go back to the Elsa to heal up, to UMN Dungeon Dive to grind with anyone you need. But if you want to grind the robots up a little, you literally have to take them into the tutorial dungeon <laughs> and run around because that's the only place that has mecha enemies. Yeah. It's, uh, that's gotta wild. love, gotta love that separate XP system. Uh, terrible. I, I mean, it'd be better if it, do you use the ESs more or anything? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very odd. It seems like very poor planning. So going back from the dead end that you're bound to go through first, um, the main path is a maze. Um, it involves a lot of blowing up panels to progress and lumbering around until you find the way forward. I'm convinced the panels are there to just mark where you've been by their destruction. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no reason to make you blow up mm -hmm. 70 of these in your path. Yeah, it's really just like hug the right wall, blow up the ones you go through to get through this path. I will say on the subject of scaling that it the the game does do a good job visually of um, showing you the human scale and robot scale parts of the dungeon sometimes at the same time, especially as you use switches in one type to unlock the path forward on the other type. And it does make the size difference between human scale and ES scale very apparent in ways that are neat for a PS2 game. However, the one thing is I'm pretty sure that like the walking speed of the ES and the regular party members are the same. <laughs> so it's weird when you first um, dive back into that intro when you're not in a robot mm. and you're just booking it down the street. <laughs> Yeah, anytime you have to do humans in an ES scale area, it is the worst because you're covering the same ground in a model that's 150th the size. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but after you maze, there is an elevator, which I believe is also the point where when you're either riding the elevator up or down, you destroy the giant box that blocks your path the other way. Mm -hmm. um, you will enter a room that locks behind you, and it is the return of Richard. <laughs> Who says, in case you've forgotten, my name is Richard. And then neither of the people in the battle are named Richard, <laughs> because these mechs are still Scootum and Peelum. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's real great if you're trying to go, wait, where did I fight these guys? And if you've forgotten the car chase at the opening, because these are the two jobber mechs, but now you're in a mecha to fight them. Okay, I want to know who forgets the car chase where it's initial D Momo edition. <laughs> the DS game. Ah, that damn DS game. Hmm, that, that's a fair point. Yeah, they just skipped that whole part. Well, that's why a DS game's bad. Ha 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 ha. Speaking of bad, I hope that Momo has learned Psycho Pocket because she's the only person who can cast Ether in a mech and that means she's the only one who can steal the tuned circuit accessory. Uh, it is a straight-up plus one to agility, and there are only two in the game. You might have got one from the first fight with this duo. Great accessory. 
This is a slightly more complex fight than it looks, but it's mostly just comprised of trap options. Herman and Scudum and Richard and Pelham can both combo boost themselves, meaning the wrong RNG can lead to some devastating turnabouts. The trick is that Pelham will absolutely do more damage at all times, especially if Richard is whipping out Third Armament, a move that does somewhere between 6 and 10k on a hit, and it ignores armor and evade stats. Yeah, despite this, you should kill Scutum first. Uh, Scutum is the support mech and is full of really irritating surprises. It can heal both of them. It can poison your party, which really sucks because only one specific person can cast ether as well inside a mech. It can also cure status effects. And if you get Pelum below half health before Scutum dies, it will cast Hero's Shield and start absorbing half of all damage Pelum takes until Scutum croaks. Also, as a little added bonus, if you kill Scutum, Pelum stops using third armament, meaning his damage ratchets, ratchets down massively, and then it becomes a curb stomp. Uh, yeah, this fight can get annoying very quickly because you have to know about the gotchas in advance. You can't really adapt to them without just kind of very slowly chunking their damage down, or their, um, their HP down. It was a very annoying fight for me. Yeah, if you trigger Hero Shield, this this boss battle just slows down. Mm -hmm. And it's not particularly... It's not that dangerous if you get a good enough RNG that you avoid too many third armament bombardments. You can just get wiped also, but it, it, so it, just, it becomes more of a slog than a war of attrition that you know, feels like it's dangerous or tense at any point. Yeah, there's a lot of, I feel like, boss battles in Xeno 2, especially in this section, where, like, the boss can just decide to take out a character. Mm -hmm. Oh, And you just have to deal with that. And the game does not really explain the pilot inside mech mechanics. For example, putting Jin into a mech so that there can be ether inside the mech. Well, you only get ether if Jin is in it as the backseat on Momo's. <laughs> God. That's extremely dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so defeating the pair lets you push a button so that you now have to go all the way back around and go through the dungeon that way. Yeah, that, that trap elevator we mentioned, you have to go in to progress. Now go back there. Yeah, go back there, because you destroyed that box on the way down mm -hmm. or the way up. At this point, the rest of the dungeon is on foot. Along the way, there is the world's longest ramp. Four-story ramp. <laughs> 
over a void. Yeah, the geometry of it is is extremely repetitive and boring. And of course, like the encounter design, there's just you know the floating giant mech men who yell at you, blocking your path that you can't avoid. There aren't really. Uh, there's like maybe two or three of the environment debuff things that you can destroy to make the battle easier for you. None of them are on this ramp. All that being said, the array of neon purple screens that uh, are kind of the centerpiece of this ramp as you're descending do look kind of sick. And I mean, look, you have to be wheelchair accessible even in the future in a stronghold. Yeah, absolutely. You know, disability representation right here. This is this is this is good, Zeno Saga 2. It's boring as hell. It's boring. If you were to make this area a future mall, this would be cool. Like, if this were you walk down the ramp to get to individual people in town and all those big screens are ads or some kind of color, I would be way less salty about this. But instead, it is a forced fight through multiple undodgeable enemies. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. And also, there's, like, at least in the outer layers of the stronghold, there is zero dungeon ecology to let you know that this is the main ship of a religious fanatic organization. It just feels like a spaceship. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the only thing that really tracks with that is the cathedral at the very bottom. Right, right. That's it. Yep. And there's also puzzles along the way. So after your world's longest ramp, there is an elevator where you have to manually counterweight first by lowering the specific amount so it drops to where the ladder leads you. But then you have to make sure your bottom block was the correct one so you can destroy that and move up slightly to the path you to the door you actually need to go through. And you do actually have to do this puzzle every time you want to go down. Uh, It does not stay solved. Terrible. It's also terrible That's bad. because they don't, I mean, it. this is a small thing, but they don't tell you that it. the thing that makes it so that you punch the counterweight onto the elevator is the exact same action that you use to try to destroy the counterweight in your path to try to get, like, the combination right, but it's, yeah, it's just about the angle. Position. Yeah, it's just about the position, and so there were a couple of times where I wasn't necessarily paying that much attention, and I blew up the counterweight that I wanted to actually punch down, and so I had to just, like, phase out of the screen, phase back in, and start it over again. And these animations are not fast. No, You're knocking down about eight blocks each time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when we get to the boxes later. The boxes might be the slowest thing in the universe. Yeah, at least in this game. But I think for... I think for the elevator room, you don't actually have to phase out. I, I believe there's a button to just reset the oh, sh- the room so you don't have to go yes. out and go back in. You're right, and I missed it that first time. But yes, you're right, there is that button. So, one room later is a pair of block-pushing puzzles. The first has ice physics, so there are six crates. You need to get five of them in a row to make a bridge to the other side. Now, if you know what you're doing, this is very easy. If you don't know what you're doing and you walk in and maybe hit a button just going, oh, I'm going to blow something up, you have instantly destroyed this puzzle and you need to start over. (laughs) A lot of things happen in this dungeon where your make-a-thing-explode button turns into a I'm-moving-something button, and they're never signposted until after the first one. 
Yeah, it's bad design. It, yeah, and um, I like the occasional bo- block pushing puzzle in a JRPG as long as they are well considered and they're not like the only gameplay in dungeons. I can be a fan of them, but not this one because it takes so long. It's so prescriptive. It doesn't instruct you on how like the mechanics of the thing work. And um, if you mess up one move, it's going to take you another like 45 seconds to a minute and a half to get back to where you made that mistake. Yeah. I think like if they just made this faster, I wouldn't hate it as I wouldn't hate it like by a lot. Mm -hmm. There's still those other problems with it, but I think the speed is just the worst part of it. Definitely. The ice one is okay to me because this one is pretty zippy. You hit the thing, they don't slide for more than two seconds tops. It makes sure the whole ice area is on the screen at all times when you're walking through it so there's no blind fire. Once you get this down, this isn't the worst. The part where you cross the bridge and another block-pushing puzzle with no ice physics is waiting for (laughs) you, and you have to move five of them to create a bridge to get to a segment address, which, full disclosure, they do allow you to keep forever if you solve that before leaving the room. So if you come back with the key later, you don't have to do this. Oh, thank God. Yeah, because you don't, you can't have the key by this point, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. Then, after that, is a room very reminiscent of one from the uh, Proto-Merkaba at the end of the first game, where a challenging... And by challenging, I mean it's color-coded. set of elevators will lift you up or drop you down, and you need to rotate your way either to the bottom to continue on with the story or to an individual platform in the middle of this loop that has a segment address with Secret Key 9. Secret Key 9 is so useful, I forget what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably something good. The, I'll look it up right now. The fuckery that they do with the segment addresses in this game and the amount of backtracking that they make you do to these highly specific areas are such bullshit. It's so much worse than episode one's segment address side quests, which surprises me. Secret Key 9 gives you Expansion Pack Plus One, which lets you equip up to four skills. Oh, hey. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, like, not horrible. It's it's very casual, but it does allow for a little bit more party composition. Mm-hmm. After that is a save point, and then we fight the woman the DS forgot. <laughs> okay, well, this is another reason why the DS game is bad, because this, this chick owns. She is definitely one of the more, like, cool and capable of the henchman characters in Xenosaga, but, um... I hated this boss. I hated this boss. Like, I understand that the fight is not good and, like, kind of bullshit, and there's some stupid stuff in it, but she she has a laser katana that turns into a different laser greatsword that also doubles as a shotgun. Yes, it is sick in the abstract. Absolutely. Um, I, I am pro-Orgula up to a point. Her introduction rules. Yeah. 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 It is also, like, this could have been Pelligree. Like, they could have had Pelligree do all this shit. 
It is. In the DS version, it is just Pellegrino. Okay, that's <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. They completely cut this character and just slot Pellegrino in her place, and you never know the difference. <laughs> of course not. But I like goth robot laser nun. <laughs> oh, you want to just hear someone screaming, sellers, every once in a while at you? Yeah, in the, I, I don't in the know who sellers is. <laughs> uh, He's the dude who looks like a Doctor Strangelove reject, the one guy in a wheelchair in this universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, see, that's why we had to have the accessible ramp. Yep. Actually, that does make... The that fact that that ramp might explicitly be there just for when Sellers comes around is amazing, and I had never considered that. You know what? It's uh, it's in... It, that's, that's how I'm looking at it now. <laughs> that's why all the floating guys are there. You sure you yeah. don't want to just have a lift to the bottom, boss? <laughs> no? I'm okay. going to do it myself. I'm going to make sure you don't fall off. <laughs> There's no rails here. Rails cost extra. Floating rails over the void probably do cost extra. Yeah, totally. Um, especially, rails. especially if your uh, if your spaceship is is uh, rated to exist between two black holes without falling apart or breaking apart. Yeah, if you unbalance it with rails, it might tilt a little to the left, and then the black holes evaporate and doesn't work. You got to make sure you keep that equilibrium. Equal the blah blah that word. I'm not going to try to say anymore. <laughs> equilibrium. That one. Yeah. So, this Orgula boss fight begins with the absolutely disgustingly cheap move of her stealing your entire boost gauge. Oh, we or- have to discuss the cutscene. Yes, okay, let's because do Because we walk in, and she is meditating inside a giant empty cube. It's like, okay, sure, religious place, I guess that would be a thing. And she goes, confess your sins unto me, I will listen to even what you say, you filth. And Junior just goes, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) And then the two of them just start escalating shit talk. Junior pulling out his guns and approaching. Everyone else is just kind of like, uh, what do we do here? Yeah, I love that they just let it happen. They just stand around and let the the anime anime rivalry shit talk just escalate. And it's it's so funny that it's Junior who's the one guy who's like, I'm just a kid. You you know... (laughs) Very like sad and tragic shit, and then he's yeah he's he's fucking shit talking a cube nun, just ridiculous shit. I feel like it's just distilled Xenosaga. Just mm-hmm. if I wanted to save one thing from Xenosaga two, it would be Momo Tokyo drifting. But second would be this. <laughs> I think there's one moment in this game that is more Xenosaga than this, but I can easily see making this case. Hmm. Is it a scene we haven't seen yet? It is a scene we haven't seen yet. Okay. I hope that you remember to point it out when it happens, because I'm really curious. You'll know, because (laughs) it's definitely a thing. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So, after this ridiculous, silly cutscene, the boss fight begins with an absolutely cheap move of her stealing your entire boost gauge, if you had any left over. Which she can repeat doing during the fight. Asshole. She will actually fill your gauge to steal it. <laughs> Orgula has two forms. Uh, they both have a shared health bar. Ariu is green eyes and Manas is blue eyes. Both have a skill upgrade E to steal, but Ariu also has the Awakening 2 tome. If you want to wipe out Matthews' debt immediately and entirely, 
this is the spot to do it. Because every time that Orgula swaps forms, it resets her drops, meaning that every time that she becomes Eryu, you can steal another Awakening 2 from her. 20 of these will close out the debt side quest by themselves. Uh, you know, so just like try to survive 40 loops of this bullshit uh, and of, her, of her swapping halves and wailing on you the whole time. And if you can do that, Captain Matthews is in the clear. I feel like that'd be pretty difficult to do because just the amount of damage upkeep you have to do in this fight. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Iryu has stats effects and heals herself. Manes is a self-damaging weapon who can buff herself uh, massively at the cost of some of her HP, which Iryu then can restore. I think it's like 1,000 HP, maybe, or 100. Yeah, if she takes 1,000 some... damage, she can heal herself for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rolling into this fight without ice resistance or some prep is going to be a bad time because of the above. Um, to make matters worse, if you have a status uh, ailment debuff party, every time she switches form, she cleans her status. She can combo off of herself and can launch you, meaning she can knock down 50 to 80% of a character's life in one bad chain or just outright kill them. Yup. Every so often, she's hit with uh, Manny's restraint and... This dumps her stats and signals Manus is about to turn back into Eryu. The way that you just said Manus restraint sounded like you said Manus restraint, which is a <laughs> disgusting phrase. Yeah, she just screams sellers <laughs> and she's covered in white goo and you're like, oh no, we've gone full hentai. But it's like, no, sloppy steaks. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> I will see myself out. <laughs> Come on, we're almost done. Stick around. Um, this is an incredibly brutal battle due to the high HP and that she has such a spread of everything. Between her two forms, this character has the most attacks of anyone in the game. That's mm. like by volume. I believe it. Boosts and combos can do a lot of damage, but you're guaranteed at least two cycles due to raw numbers. And then there's the part where... This fight's just not in the DS version. That's lame, because I like even though the fight sucks, I feel like if like the mechanics were like good, this would be a dope boss fight. Yeah, but it it does the exact same thing that all the worst bosses in Xenosaga episode two do, which are it can RNG fuck you with just turn order nonsense. And also if you don't figure out the correct sequence of events, you know, here it's it's less like the break combo and more just managing the different forms. But if you can't do that, then then it's just going to slow down the fight massively until you until you either just like squeak by the by on the skin of your teeth or eventually figure it out. Yeah, this is like the point where just like the game has assumed you've learned how to start breaking it and now requires you to do so. Which is so rich because we have not figured out how to break the mech combat portion of the game, which, like, it's just such poor balancing on the game's part to have the first dungeon where you actually have to be in a mech so late into it. My play clock is, like, at 15 hours right now out of what is supposed to be about between a 30 to 35 hour game. Uh, Real cool.
When finished, you'll see a D8 drop into the pool of water at the bottom of the space station, which floats and raises the water level to where you can enter it. Inside is a convenient self-destruct chapel, which will torpedo the station from the bottom up. However, you have to, quote, detonate, which in other words is rotate, a bunch of Christmas lights to make sure that the kill command reaches the explodey bits when you push it. Uh, I do not like this puzzle. When you do, a 30-minute countdown timer begins, in real time, minus some loading screens. Fresh new enemies have spawned along the path back upwards, because everyone here is a dick. However, all puzzles are now thankfully solved, and so that's a minor time-saving reward. I wouldn't say that this game respects your time, but, you know, it, it does have a limit. It feels like a real dick move to have the enemies respawn, considering how long those battles are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will Especially, say this. Yeah. It's 30 minutes real time. How much time did everyone have when they made it out of this? Oh, I had plenty. I had, I had probably more than five minutes at the very least. I didn't really feel much pressure. I had six. Okay. I had about five. Yeah. So 25 minute average on this. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a long time. It's a long time without worrying that I had to, that I was going to have to start the whole thing over again, I guess is and what I mean. And I think mean. they actually cut off save points during this part? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't work to, to be able to try to save in the middle of this. I feel like that Come would on. fuck things up. Even Final Fantasy VII lets you save when you're blowing up a reactor. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. So once you do make it back to the mechs, we uh, go outside and get ready for another cutscene and a boss. Yep, so Pellegrini comes back with the ES, uh, was it Ishakar? Isakar. Isakar. Thankfully, this battle is not um, Orgrel eh, Orgrella hard, or whatever her name is. Pronunciation's hard. But it isn't a pushover unless you know how to cheese it. She has a selection of medium to heavy attacks, one of which, Falling Rose, powers up as she loses HP. But it's a few moves in particular that add to this challenge. If she uses her D-field, her invasion versus ranged attack skyrockets. With uh, a chance, she'll just dodge them under the skies of the distortion slowed down the missiles. It lasts <laughs> one to two turns. If you see Day of Judgment, heal immediately. Um, this means that her next turn, she's going to do a three-attack combo of um, Vicious Crimson, which is a weak physical, Falling Rose, one or two, Fire, and if it's upgraded... 50% shot of L ether. Yeah. Ether Double. defense down. Gotcha. Large ether defense down. And Genesis, an invasion ignoring the thunder blast on the whole party. Mm. That's rough. Yeah. Finally, if she has an effect around her, like she's stocking, don't attack that turn. It means she'll intercept and steal HP from the attacker. The goofiest way to cheese this fight is to just hit her with physical attacks because Pierce and Slash are weaknesses. Ice is also up there. The gallant way <laughs> is to just get murderous. Bring in Zebulon. Jin is the co-pilot. Now you can cast Aether skills and add Aura to your attacks. Then use Golden Bow, a potent piercing skill that strips buffs. You can three-shot her with this if you've buffed it right because it'll mm. do something around... 9 to 10k damage on a boss that's got about 30. Mm -hmm. Add an Asher where Shion has the co-pilot, which will give you Gatling Blast, a physical and pierce wallop of a punch. Is, is that you, the Matrix one? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you basically line her up against the wall and turn this fight into a firing squad. (laughs) Fuck. A guaranteed reward for this is the Emacs 300 accessory, the only guaranteed one in the game, and a requirement for post-game robot content. It will raise your EC gauge from 200 to a 300 max. So you can stock up to three moves. The EC moves are, again, very poorly explained by the game. They're, you know, they're essentially the special moves while whoever is in front is piloting the mech. But I did not realize just how powerful they were until this fight. I did not have Jin in the backseat of Zebulon, but uh, Golden Bow is the only reason that I survived this uh, with, with any kind of safety at all. I also like that just Momo just gets a bow in both her robot and just her yeah. on-foot combat. Oh my god, yeah. But the the robot bow is sick. I, I agree with this. So this has been kind of a storylight episode so far, and as we're wrapping up, we get one of the few cutscenes of this dungeon as we escape the dungeon. So, so just since you're mentioning that, I feel like this place must have been either cut down or shoved in at the last minute because oh yeah nobody gets a post battle cutscene here except for Pellegree. Mm-hmm. Richard and Herman don't or Gula dies and we don't see anything. It's just like okay room's empty now keep going. Yeah, it's super so weird. So much of this place feels unfinished, especially since outside of the ramp room Everything is just gray tiles and metal walls. Mm-hmm. However, it's the first time you're going somewhere and doing something. <laughs> well, yeah. You're not but, wrong. Like, the Ormus stronghold should have a lot more plot significance than it does, because, again, it is a major... Isn't it a major Utic stronghold? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there... There is a lot of Xenosaga plot significance wrapped up in Utic and wrapped up in these henchmen that we fucked off, uh, fucked over rather. Um, but but yeah, we get none of it, and it's very strange in a game that sometimes feels like it has a better balance between the story sections and the play sections than Episode One did, which you know would have just like forty-five minute cutscenes and then a two-hour cutscene-less dungeon back to back. This is the first time that the balance has felt significantly off, I think, in this in this episode. Yeah, we've I've called out that there are times where it seems like we recycled or crammed a bunch of cutscenes together with the narration. We don't even get the narration here. Like this just feels like we didn't animate anything. Yeah. 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 And so with that, as the Ormus stronghold disintegrates around you, Pellegree decides that she's stalled you for long enough and leaves the party to die. Her plan is pretty flawless, uh, with the Elsa still crippled, until, bam, Durandal shows up, and the ship full of misfits tows us away. As Junior contacts his crew, an incredible scene of Hammer and Tony doing a jig in the background occurs. Again, we've talked about how like the bodily animation rigging is way better than the facial animation in this game, and this is, this is an excellent example of... Uh, using that animation for good. It's also just amazing how it's just happening in the background while Junior's being all serious and, like, having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Nothing acknowledges this. Uh, it's, it's so real good. good. It's good. 
Junior asks where Guinan is, and Mary slash Shelly tell him that he's gone to Fifth Jeweler's Realm for an errand, um, which sounds like it's important, probably. Uh, we see the summons that he got here in the DS game. It's from Citrine. Gotcha. And then that's it. That's it for this week. You're now free to do side quests and resume foundation exploration. You can do that if you want. Um, I just want to point out that you don't even go to old Melsha or wherever right away after this. So it feels mm-hmm. like just the final slap is like, and you didn't even go to where you wanted to in the end. Yeah. Yep. We actually have to queue up to do that next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it. This is the moment. This is the period of the game also where if you are ignoring most of the side quests like I am and just kind of trying to chug straight through it, the game starts to get significantly harder if you don't have those additional tomes and additional moves and additional accessories that you've been able to steal or get from segment addresses or stuff like that. And so um, this is kind of where I started to get a little bit frustrated because I don't find a lot of the side content very story meaningful or there are a couple of side quests in the in that big kind of side quest chain that have some good writing but a lot of it is kind of perfunctory and i felt like i had to do some of it at this point to make the the main game less obnoxious to play through don't you have to do a side quest for the steel ability if i recall yeah and i did not i did not get that uh, and so I have not been able to steal anything uh, because I didn't do that side quest when I should have. All those um, awakenings are gone. Yeah, yeah. So the we we might we might hear more and more screams of despair coming from my mic as this season uh, goes on and starts to wrap up. I'll do a quick overview of the side quests next time, but there's not a really interesting batch right here. Yeah. All right. With that, uh, this is a quick one, but I suppose we are due. It looks like without Chris, everything just flows smoothly. (laughs) Does anyone have any more thoughts on the Ormus Stronghold? I said this before recording. This is just my own personal business, but I think part of the reason why this dungeon made me so grumpy was because uh, my emulator couldn't handle the ES sections because there were a lot more polygons being rendered at that time. And um, so the the robot sections of this dungeon were chugging along at about 40% of uh, what average normal emulation speed is supposed to be. So it chugged and so you know when richard introduces introduced himself it was like my name is richard and it kind of (laughs) it kind of took away from the power of him just saying his name again i kind of love that (laughs) that is pretty great shitpost richard is a great move (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i think i'm super mixed on this segment because i like it because i've said multiple times it's like it's almost like the first thing you're really doing off of second Milsha. And so it feels like, you know, you're actually going places at this point, but the dungeon kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Next time is where the game actually opens up and gives you some branching and you can start going between locations. That seems wild. It takes to like what the middle of disc two. Yeah. We're probably 60% of the way through the game. 
Yeah, disc two is a lot beefier than disc one is, which is strange. That's not generally how multi-disc games end up working out. But with this one, it is. And it's incredibly odd because none of the post-game content is on disc one either, which means this thing is just overstuffed, but they didn't get it onto one disc. Even with duplicate assets, it feels like there must have been something they could have done. Right? Yeah. It, it, I don't know. Well, I feel like there might just be a lot of jank because like everything loads so slow. Yeah. That this is just this is just indicative of Xenosaga episode two dot text right here, right? It's just like, ah, oh, this seems poorly optimized and uh like a lot was left on the cutting room floor. Huh. Interesting. There are definitely load times between cutscenes in this update. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> you just get a black screen. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, does anyone have anything to share with the listeners? You got plugs, Garrett? Uh, I do. Um, I roped uh, two of my friends in to talk about all of Common Rider, more or less, at journeythroughthedecacast.com, which is uh, a fun romp, if I do say so myself, being the biased person I am. I will absolutely second this as the editor of the show. Yeah, definitely not biased either. Ryan, you have anything? Yeah, so you can listen to the music that I make on occasion uh, at soundcloud.com slash catastrophizer or a band that I was in on Bandcamp, uh, Canon and Devarin. Also, uh, you can listen to Chris and I making a podcast called Lightning Strikes Thrice Extreme by visiting the Pitch Drop Patreon and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It is similar to this podcast, but it's about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, and uh, we are kind of in the strange post- a realm reborn doldrums where there's like some really cool raid plot content going on and then also some really shitty class quests that we're that we're cleaning up and clowning on so it's been a good time you can do that at pitchdrop.cash if you need a link to the patreon thank you uh, the old the old notes were still in there and it said tentacle.pro and i know that we try not to share that one anymore and i don't know if it works anymore either I believe he let it lapse. I was actually the one who paid for it a second year. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> that is all until next time when we'll be talking about the submerged city and landing on old Milsha. Peace out, fuckers. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.